0: Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him and to be born of a pure virgin. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption and grace may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the same Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We are continuing on in the Catechism uh, with Question One Twenty Eight. We're going to talk about marriage. Um, marriage in the Anglican understanding is a sacrament, uh, but not one of those sacraments that is generally necessary for salvation. Thank goodness, right? And to some of you, some of you are like, "Yes, all right. <laughs> I don't. I, you know, I'm not married, and still it's going to be okay. All right." Um, uh, but it is a sacrament, and, and I want to say a little bit about that as we go through it. Um, marriage is, uh, you know, it contains the kinds of uh, things that sacraments contain, right? There's an outward and visible sign, which is what? It's not this, by the way, right? It's not this. What is it? It's husband and wife are the sign. What's the grace that's being set forth? Uh, communion with whom? With Christ, right? Paul says this mystery is a profound one, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Um, and he's saying that directly to the relationship which, which lies between the two. This is Ephesians 5. Um, let's, let's jump in, though. What is marriage? Marriage is a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, binding both to self-giving love and exclusive fidelity, in the rite of Christian marriage, the couple exchange vows to uphold this covenant. They do this before God and in the presence of witnesses who pray that God will bless their life together. It's often been said that in the marriage rite, the ministers of the marriage rite is not a priest, but who? Man and woman. They, they administer the marriage rite, uh, indeed, to each other. Marriage is a lifelong covenant. Um, this language of covenant, we've used this before. Do you remember what, the, what covenant refers to? It's kind of a quick little phrase that I like to teach. A covenant always entails an exchange of persons. Um, think about this. When, when, uh, well, let's look at it when it comes to marriage. What do we say about the two, man and woman? What do they become in the marriage? In, in marriage. One flesh. So they exchange, there's an exchange of persons, and they become one. Do they retain their distinctiveness? Yes, of course they do. And those of you who are married are like, yes, of course, that's how it works. (laughs) Um, That's why we get into arguments, right? That's why we have marital uh, discord occasionally, Um, sometimes all the time. And that doesn't mean that marriage is over, right? Um, A lifelong covenant. Now, if you think about this language of covenant going through Scripture, you'll see the various covenants in Scripture. Correct? There's a covenant made with Noah. There's a covenant made with Abraham. And do you remember the content of the covenant with Abraham? Have I gone through this before? It's very simple. It's, Abraham, it's basically this. Everything that you have is mine, Abraham. Okay. And everything that I have is yours. That's, that's the deal. I will be your God. You will be my people. Um, there's an exchange that goes on. Um, in the ancient world, covenants were often given as an exchange of land, but it was more than just that. It was to enter into a family relationship. Okay? Um, uh, this doesn't happen quite so often anymore. Uh, it might happen among, like, I don't know, mob families or something like this. But, but you, you can fact contracts through marriage. Right? Um, that's an essential uh, thing in some cultures. Families are joined together through marriage. Um, those of you who are married know that, despite all the difficulties of it, your families come together in marriage. Um, it's a surprising thing, actually. For a while, um, my brothers' in- my brothers-in-laws would have dinner with my parents on a regular basis, quite without my brother and his wife. Why? Because they'd become family, um, and they would have Thanksgiving with each other. And they would, uh, so when when we had those years where everybody goes somewhere else for Thanksgiving, those they would get together for thanksgiving a lifelong covenant but the marriage covenant is between the man and the woman now you can think about how this what's the content of the covenant what is it when's the last time you went to a wedding okay think about what happened There are vows, right? What are the vows? If you're wondering why people are confused about marriage, this might be it. Okay. What are the vows? Okay, that's that's there. Okay, fidelity. That's very important. Till death do us part. Okay, there you go. There's the key word, right? What What cancels the marriage contract or the marriage covenant? Death. That's it. Okay? So the marriage vows are to have and to hold, um, to love and to care for, um, in what? Sickness and health, uh, better, for, better for worse, richer for poorer, right? Uh, it basically is no matter what happens. Okay. Um, when I've got a young couple who are engaged in my office, one of the first things I tell them is, you are entering into a relationship in which you can do irreparable harm and also incredible works of healing in each other's lives. Because you will gain access to the other's life in a magnificent and incredibly scary way. When you get married, you basically sign a blank check with nothing in the memo line and nothing in the cost line. Okay, The legal line is what it's called. Right? Because you're basically saying everything. I give you access to my life to do irreparable harm, but also incredible good. Um, both are bound. Okay, this is binding, right? Um, and and in fact, one of the things that happens in the marriage rite is that the hands are loosed and then bound together, right? Um, if you've ever heard the expression "tying the knot," do you know what this, this refers to? Oh man, it's so great. Okay, in 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 the old school rite, the priest takes his stole and he wraps their hands together with the stole. This is called tying the knot. Um, And and it is to say that they are bound together in this holy union. They are set apart as man and wife. So there's a consecrating that goes on as well. Um, And they are bound to self-giving love, this is important, and exclusive fidelity. So let's break that down a little bit. Self-giving love. What does that mean? Yeah, sacrifice. Listen, marriage is an incredibly gratifying thing, okay? I will just say this, it can be it can be incredibly gratifying, but that's not the reason we enter into it. We enter into marriage so that we can give a unqualified gift of self to the other. Okay? Um, holding nothing back. Um, there's some uh, the you know, there's still the language in the giving of rings, with all that I have and with all that I am, I honor you. Okay? Um, In fact, you know this in marriage, right? Or it used to be this way, not so much anymore. But it is, it still is, I think. Uh, Everything that you have becomes the property of the other, right? And likewise. Not just uh, things like furniture and most people, you know, a lot of people when they get married, they have nothing. So it's it's kind of a joke, right? But over time, you you gain certain things. Go ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. Community property. Yeah. That's true. Yep. Um, and, of course, debts as well, right? Debts are accumulated. Um, and I should say this. I do not marry people who prenuptial agreements. Ever. Why? Because it's basically saying, we're going to enter into this covenant... But we don't really mean it, right? We're going to have a fail-safe to back it up, so no. Um, Self-giving love. Um, And, and of course, this builds through time, does it not? I mean, have you ever watched a man care for his wife dying of cancer or with Alzheimer's? Have you ever watched a woman care for her husband uh, when he's been in a car accident or whatever it may be? Um, This is that self-giving love playing out over and over and over again. And exclusive fidelity. Okay, Now, fidelity refers to faithfulness in marriage, but it's even more than that. Um, there is a trust relationship in marriage. That's, in fact, how the, how the financial agreements are, are laid out, right? There, there is a financial component. Um, I'm even finding myself now asking, when I have uh, couples about to be married in my office, say, you know, um, joint checking, not optional, Okay, <laughs> it's, it's a must. You have to do this. Um, exclusive fidelity. Now, of course, this also refers to, obviously, sexual fidelity as well. Um, that is a lifelong fidelity as well. Um, in the rite of Christian marriage, the couple exchange vows. This is the first of the outward and visible signs which confect marriage, is the exchange of vows um, to uphold this covenant. So, um, I, you know, it's very popular these days to actually not have vows um, in a marriage Right? I've, I went to a wedding several years ago. They plain did not have vows. Um, all they did was talk about and describe. It was a descriptive bit, right? They described their love for each other. That's not a vow. What's a vow? Till death, right? I will do the following. And she says, "Till death, I will do the following. I give you everything I've got, everything I am. That's the vow." Okay. Um, and they do this before God in the presence of witnesses, who pray that God will bless their life together. Um, you know, even uh, I've I've actually had occasion to uh, talk about. I have never done this yet. I, I will someday. I, I guarantee it. I will. Uh, but to officiate um, uh, when, when a couple elopes. Still have to have witnesses, okay? Witnesses are required. Why are the witnesses required? They have to sign the marriage license. That's one thing. There's another thing they have to do. Should they try to back out later on and say this never happened, the witnesses are there to say, nope, I heard it. I saw it. It happened. They're bound, right? There it is. They made the vows. Um, I'm actually canonically required to have witnesses at every wedding that I officiate at it's just not not optional okay so are you taking notes okay good <laughs> go ahead Um, you know, actually, I think it is, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, very often um, people do, you know, uh, I think you're right. In a sense, adultery doesn't always include sex, right? Um, it can include an emotional entanglement with any number of things, right? Um, and I think that's that's got to be said, so I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's, that's essential that we know that. Now, does that necessarily mean that that's what's going on? Well, not really. There, there can be all kinds of things that are going on. There can be agreements that are in place. There can be things where we say, you know, this is something we need to do for a while. It won't be forever, but this is going to be for a while, right? Um, I can recall several occasions in which uh, men have had to go off to serve in the military for months at a time. Well, that's not adultery. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's doing a duty, right? Um, it might be that, you know, you've got to go do a job for six months out of the year. Um, that, that sort of thing happens. But I would encourage people to, to not make those sorts of things permanent. How's that? Um, because it does show that there are priorities over and above uh, the marriage. Um, one thing that's not actually said here that I want to lay out is that marriages actually have to be consummated. Um, one of the ways, the, the final way in which a marriage is consummated is through sex. Let's just say that very, very clearly. That um, if... Uh, if actually, as has happened, because uh, I know of cases in which this has happened, uh, people get married and they never uh, they never have sex it 's as if it didn 't happen um, because the the finality with which that nails down the uh, the marriage vows is, uh, is is missing all right um, I should say as well marriage is also, and this is this is important to say marriage is not uh, um, is not a matter of divine revelation. It is a matter of what we see in nature. So we don't need God to tell us, although he does tell us, we don't need him to tell us that marriage is a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, right? Because marriage exists in all kinds of cultures. Is it, is it still marriage? Just because it's not Christian marriage? Yes, it's marriage. Um, now, there's a distinction which we'll draw in the in the future. But let's ask question 129 now. What is signified in marriage? The covenantal union of man and woman in marriage signifies the communion between Christ, the heavenly bridegroom, and the church, his holy bride. Not all are called to marriage, but all Christians are wedded to Christ and blessed by the grace God gives in marriage. Okay. So let's break this down a little bit. The covenantal union between man and woman in marriage signifies the communion between Christ, the heavenly, heavenly bridegroom, and the church, his holy bride. Uh, you remember in the in the Eucharistic rite, we say, "This is this is my blood of the what? The new covenant." Now, what is the new covenant? Sure, it fulfills it actually. Yeah. I want to be clear, anyway. Um, Which is what? Okay. When Jesus pours out his blood upon us, is there anything really left to give? This is God making good on his promise, right? To give everything that he is to us. Um, You know, Paul in Philippians chapter 2 uses this wonderful word uh, that's often translated as, he emptied himself. Okay. The new covenant is essentially this, that that by uh, the blood of the cross, uh, God has canceled the old covenant, indeed fulfilled it, and issued in a new one with his blood to redeem us from sin and death uh, and to make us partakers of his kingdom. Um, And that is summed up in marriage language. Why? Why? Because to be a partaker of, of God himself, right, of his nature, is to share in his life. Very much like a, a woman shares in her husband's life, right? I mean, this is, this is, part, of the, this is part of the joy of it. I mean, when, when, we got, when Ella and I got married, she said, I really don't want to move to Texas. You know, I love Wisconsin, I love the woods, I love the winters, I love the cold, I love the lakes, I love all of it. I don't want to move to Texas. But she did anyway, right? Because she knew that to marry me was to enter into my life and me to enter into her life. Albeit in different ways. So the language that Paul uses, the language that Jesus himself uses about himself, is that he is what? The heavenly bridegroom. Um, By the way, in in those days... uh, People didn't really set marriage dates. Uh, <laughs> actually, the date was determined by the groom. Doesn't that sound terrifying? <laughs> um, but the groom would show up unexpectedly um, and would take the bride uh, to himself. And then the feast would happen. Um, and that's, that's also a wonderful analogy as well because who do we wait for? We're going to talk a lot about this in Advent. We wait for the coming of Christ to come and to come and take us to himself. Um. And this happens, of course. This language is also used in the Old Testament, right? There's all of this language of God saying, "I am your husband." Uh, read Hosea, right? Hosea is commanded to marry a uh, 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 a prostitute, essentially, uh, to marry a woman of ill repute, and he and he is he is he marries this woman Gomer, who's unfaithful, and it is an image for what God's relationship with Israel. This wandering nation that can't that can't seem to be faithful, right? Um, now, not all are called to marriage, but all Christians are wedded to Christ. So, I want to say that first. Um, in fact, some of the church fathers tell us that the character of every Christian before God is that of a female being, male, female, female being. Why? Well, first of all, because we're called the bride. But there's, this, there's a wonderful thing going on there, isn't there? Which is to say that we are, we are to be um, caught up into the life of God. Um, but all Christians are wedded to Christ and blessed by the grace God gives in marriage. And this is, this is an important statement here. Many people have been lulled into believing that marriage is only good for married people. Have you heard that? Okay, read the Supreme Court judgment from a few years ago, and in the middle of it, that's the language that's used, is that marriage is only a good basically for those who are married. If you aren't married, you don't get to participate in the good. So you've missed out on something. That's what's in the Supreme Court judgment. Now, we as Christians believe this. Everybody benefits from marriage. When marriage is really good and when marriages are really strong, everybody benefits in that. When marriages are weak, everybody hurts from that. Um, so when we, when we think about this, and, and you know this, right? You know this intuitively. Especially those of you who grew up in, in families that were broken by marriage breakdowns. You say, you kind of look at your friends who grew up um, with parents who stuck together. You think, man, I wonder what that was like. That must have been really nice. <laughs> um, in addition to that, you know the harm of it. We know the harm, don't we? Um, and, and I should say this as well. Um, we, have, we have bought almost wholeheartedly into a rather self-centered, egotistical, narcissistic understanding of marriage. Marriage is for me. Okay, It's what I get out of it. And if I stop getting something out of it, what do I do? Go get a divorce. right? No fault, too. The miracle of modern law, right? <laughs> there doesn't have to be a fault assigned. Okay, um, And when it's good, all right, it's good. It's good for me. Um, but that's not what marriage is about. Um, and, and we're going to say more as we go through this. All right. Any questions? Go ahead. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Marriage is a vocation. And I think that's really important. Marriage is a calling. Okay. Uh, and, and, and the ways that we discern a calling are these. Um, first, I have to say this. God does not call people to do things that they don't desire. (laughs) Right? Because what would that be like? It's almost like being dragged to go fishing when you don't like fishing. (laughs) Have you ever dragged someone to go fishing who doesn't like fishing? It's miserable, isn't it? They moan, they complain, they, that's so hot, I don't like, I don't like, you know, tying lines. It's just, like, you just want to throw them off the boat, okay? Um, With an anchor, Uh, (laughs) and uh, and and it's just it's miserable, right? But God wants us to be in His boat and want to be there, right? So He puts desires in us. So the first the first aspect of a of a call to marriage is the desire to be married. Um, And if you have that desire, wonderful. Um, What are we supposed to do with all that desire? Pray about it, okay? Pray. Um, uh, that desire is good, isn't it? It's very good. Um, and and part of the part of the issue that we face as the church is that um, we've sort of we've boxed all of that desire into a into a, into the category of sin. It's not. Our desire for others is not sinful. Our desire to be known and to know is not sinful. It's good. It's put in us. God put it there, um, and uh, I should say, if if you experience this desire for marriage, um, it's it's a wonderful thing. However, at certain points, people discern uh, this kind of. It's a wonderful thing when this happens. They they start to discern that um, they they don't have this desire, and what they desire uh, is any one of many any number of things. It's to be unencumbered. Uh, so that they can serve God in a in, a, in an incredible way um, without being married um, I'm uh, we have a Ellen and I have a great friend who's discerning a call to monastic life um, and she is uh, just lovely and she she has never experienced desire to be married ever she's desired an experience for intimacy and experiences it deeply okay but she doesn't she doesn't desire to be married at all um, and she's discerning a call to join a monastery, right? That's what she's doing right now. Um, but but her, her calling has been nothing, and it's like this, nothing will assuage her thirst for intimacy but God himself in the life of a community, okay? Um, she knows that. That's what she wants. It's all she wants, in fact. <laughs> she is satisfied with nothing else, okay? It's beautiful, um Next, I should say this, um, some people are unable to be married. Um, we, we need to say this. Um, some people have experienced emotional trauma that makes them unfit to be married. Um, some people deal with psychological disorders that make them unfit to be married. Uh, some people have entanglements in life that are that are just plain not a good place to get started um, and we have to say this um, i've had uh, i 've had occasion through now, 11 years of 4 ministry, to say to people in my office, you know, I, I don't think this is a good idea. It's just there's a lot going on here. Um, you're not really mature enough to even think about this yet. Um, they ignored me, of course. Uh, but things worked out, actually, surprisingly enough. That was really good, okay? <laughs> I, I was dumb, didn't know what I was doing, but there it is. Um, we have to discern the ability. Um, and, and for some of you, you know, you're, you're undergraduates, right, and you're saying, here I am in college, I've got to finish this degree, my parents will kill me if I get married before that, so obviously that's not, I'm not able, right, I'm not able to do that yet. And some of you might say, well, but, you know, we might be able to figure that out, I mean, it'd be okay, things work out, right, okay. Um, and lastly is the opportunity. and opportunity is usually in the form of another person, right? <laughs> right? Um, and, and I would say this and, and that's really important that you discern that, that, that upfront stuff first in a way.. Okay. Um, uh, I, I'll tell my own story, which is that um, I was, uh, I was in seminary and I was, uh, I was in seminary when I met Ella. And through that, that very formative experience, which was an almost, almost a mon- uh, very much a monastic experience, had, had built in me this, this thought that said, basically, I'm either going to get married or I'm going to be a monastic. That was my, that was my world, right? And, uh, and Ella and I, this is a funny story, we broke up for about two months, for a little while. And, uh, and I was basically like, well, it's either her or not, right? And, uh, and that was it. Um, and we ultimately did get back together, and we, and we wound up getting married. But it was, it, was, it was an incredible experience because I understood and I believed at the time, and I, I still believe this, that, uh, that my Christian life could not be lived outside of real community. Um, and that's why we've been you know, steadily building our own community at our house, right? <laughs> right? Isn't that supposed to be true, right? Um, you know, we have six children. Why do we have six children? I probably shouldn't answer this in public. <laughs> well, you know why we have six children. Uh, no, we have six children because we have been convinced from the start um, that our marriage is not for ourselves. Um, our marriage is for others. It's a gift to the church. It's a gift to our children. Um, it's a gift to this world. And we're convinced of it. Um, so so what we, what we can, we, the way we continually proceed is along the lines of saying, we can hold nothing back. Um, from our children. We can hold nothing back from the world who, who, uh, who we love, right? Okay. What grace does God give in marriage? In Christian marriage, God establishes and blesses the covenant between husband and wife and joins them to live together in a communion of love, faithfulness, and peace within the fellowship of Christ and his church. God enables all married people to grow in love, wisdom, and godliness through a common life pattern on the sacrificial love of Christ. There's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a distinction being drawn here between Christian marriage and all other, more, all other marriages. I want to outline that a bit. But here we begin. In Christian marriage, God establishes and blesses the covenant between husband and wife and joins them to live together in, in a communion of love, faithfulness, and peace. And here's the clincher. Within the fellowship of Christ and his church. Um, I say this because marriage is now being abstracted, especially Christian marriage, is being abstracted from the life of the church. Um, And and there are a lot of reasons for this. I mean, one is that for so many Christians in North America, uh, there's this so uh, lowest common denominator understanding of what the church is, or I should say of who the church is, um, that there's no imagination about how marriage can exist within the communion of the church. Marriage is often envisioned as an accessory to the life of the church. That's not true. Marriage is often considered as not even, not even as tangential to the life of the church. That's also not true. Um, let, me, let me put it this way. Um, we have no greater icon into the inner life of God than Marriage. If you want to know what the Trinity is like, uh, I can't really draw you a picture, okay? I can draw you a diagram that kind of shows you a little bit, right? But it is nowhere near as, as helpful as marriage. Um, uh, and if you, if you ever visit our house, on the on the inside of the door, there's an icon, which I should have brought that with me today. Sorry, I didn't do that. I'll bring it next week. Um, that is an icon of marriage, and there's a married couple and their heads are touching, and they're looking out, and they're joined in hands. Okay, so they're like this, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and and the the purpose of that is to show that that man and woman do not look at each other; they look out. Okay? Their marriage exists for others. Above them is an image of the Holy Spirit, and this is in reference to um, uh, this this uh, this church they um, they're. They say a lot about the life of the Holy Spirit and the life of man and woman as husband and wife. Um, uh, we need to say a lot more about this, but it is the grace of the Holy Spirit which enables us to have the kinds of marriages that God intends. Yes. Okay. Uh, listen. Try being married on your own power. How's that work? You're going to run out of gas. It's it's terrible, right? Um, but be married by the you know live in your marriage empowered by the Holy Spirit and and things will be different, very different. Um, Above the image of the Holy Spirit, which is a dove descending on them, you have this image of Christ and the church seated in glory with the seraphim surrounding them. And the church is exemplified by Mary, who is seated next to him. Jesus is clothed he is he is he's got a blue inner garment and a red outer garment, which is normal in iconography, right? Because he is uh, blue is for divinity and red is for humanity. He's wrapped in humanity. Mary is wearing a red inner garment for humanity, and she's wrapped in blue, which symbolizes what? Divinity. She's seated next to him. And they're seated on these pillows which are both blue and red to symbolize they're seated upon this, uh, this, this, uh, this communion between God and man. And above them is this, uh, is this image of, uh, of the Father looking down on the whole. So you actually have this Trinitarian understanding that by incorporation into the life of Christ, by, by union with Christ, we are adopted into the life of the Trinity. Do you see what's being said here? Marriage shows us that, right? Um, think about the joy of watching a married couple adopt a child. Just for a moment. What do you see in that? You're seeing the grace of marriage being operative in, in bringing in new life. Okay? You've even seen this when, when a man and a woman have, a, have their first baby, right? Right? Have you ever visited a husband and wife when they had that first baby? I mean, Dad's got smiles ear to ear; uh, he is elated, right? Mama's just like a glow. Usually, um, they they have never been um, uh, in a greater—they've um, never had a greater experience of, of being a team, right? Um, ask any mom and dad; they always say, "Well." Best day of your life. Oh, well, it's easy. It's the day you were born, right? It's not not the day we got married. It's not any of that stuff. It's the day you were born. Okay, You remember that. It sticks with you. For some, it's rather traumatic, but even then, it's very a very happy day. Okay. Um, Christian marriage, and I, I want to say this again, Christian marriage ex- exists in a communion of love, faithfulness, and peace within the fellowship of Christ and his church. And I need to say this, that Um, When you're tempted to view the church as merely an accessory to your marriage, you'll go wrong. This is why I hate it. I hate it when I hear that somebody's getting divorced and I have not met with them. I can help. I can't help because I'm a brilliant marriage uh, therapist, because I'm not. I can help you to forgive each other. I can help you to walk through all kinds of dangers. I can help you to think theologically about what's going on. I can help you to access um, God's grace. Um, doesn't always work, but sometimes it does in big ways. Um, and I'm standing here uh, just blown away by how God has worked in marriages um, when, I've, when I've been allowed access. <laughs> okay? Um, And when the church has been allowed to pray for people, right? I mean, this is an unbelievable thing. Why is it that people uh, sort of find out through back channels and through rumors, oh, so-and-so are having marriage troubles, right? You should find out out on an intercessory prayer night, right? Pray for us. We're having a rough time. There's no shame in it. Everybody goes through it. Okay, there's my rant. All right. (laughs) I don't like preaching during catechesis, but I did. Okay, go ahead. Yes, it's a our culture? people readily, a couple a very Not as much as they should. That's one of the disasters: is that um, there there are not enough um, uh, wonderful icons of marriage for for people to see. Um, however, and I think this is one of the ways that married couples within a church can actually be incredibly important. Right? They they are images of the gospel, right? Um, so this is something to keep in mind, and, and it's, it's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I always remind married couples, you know, you should be inviting people into your house for dinner. That's one of the reasons you're married, is to offer hospitality to people that, that, are, that are lonely. Um, it's important. Okay. Now, let me get to a little bit of a distinction. In, in the Christian understanding, that marriage is one thing, right? But there is Christian marriage... Um, in which uh, one or both parties, usually both parties, are baptized in Christians, okay? Um, there's also what we call natural marriage, which is, which is marriage that exists in, in, in every culture, okay? Um, and we still believe at the end of the, day, uh, end of the day that God grants his grace to married couples who are not Christians. Um, God enables all married people to grow in love, wisdom, and godliness through a common life which is patterned on the sacrificial love of Christ, How cool is that? Think about the implications of that for just a moment. That means even that in cultures where the gospel is unheard of, there's an image for the gospel in that community. What is it? It's marriage. Isn't that wonderful? Um, Because there is this built-in sacrificial love, um, an opportunity for wisdom and godliness. Through this common life, and it is patterned on that sacrificial love of Christ. Think about this for a moment, okay? I want, I want you to really hear this. Think about think about the Garden of Eden for a moment. What happens? Adam is created, okay, yeah, Adam, okay, and then what? God looks at him and said, "This isn't good." Uh, what does he say? It is not good that man should be alone. I will therefore create for him, what? A helper. This is important. Adam experiences uh, his aloneness, but it is not merely for the sake of experiencing aloneness. What he experiences is that he was created to exist within a communion of persons. So we see this uniqueness of God's creation of human beings in that they know that they are made to live in communion and fellowship. Not alone, but uh, in communion. Um, And that's an essential thing, is it not? We know that we're made for this. We know that we are created uh, to enjoy uh, this um, this, this estate. All right. Um, Okay. Any questions before we move on? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Divorce and remarriage. Okay. Um, Can I say something really quickly before we get into that? Because I think it's important to get into that. Okay. Um, The church has has taught for many, many, many centuries, uh, this is in the prayer book, that marriage has essentially um, uh, three ends. Um, And they are procreation, they are the mutual help which is offered between man and woman, uh, one to another, um, and also this uh, exclusive fidelity, which serves as a guard against sin. Okay, so there's these there are these three very very important goods, um, and I should say that uh, in in the ways in which our society is currently uh, revising, if they have any ability to do so, which I don't think they do, uh, marriage. These are the ways that they're doing it. Right? They're saying, you know. Procreation is not necessary to marriage, which now means what? Look, a man and a man can get married, and a woman and a woman can get married. Um, it's to say, who needs who needs procreation? Because that's not what marriage is about. Okay? Church insists marriage is about procreation. Okay? I'm just going to put put that one there for just a moment. When we get to the Ten Commandments, we're going to say more about it. Okay? There are two spots where marriage is taught on the, in the Catechism. Um, next is for this mutual help. Uh, you know, man and woman are supposed to uh, aid one another. And who, and who hasn't seen this, right? It's, my wife is sick at home right now. Do you know who's going to do the grocery shopping this afternoon? I am. Who's making dinner? I am. Who's cleaning up? You know, who's doing, who's doing the, I'm doing it, right? Because we help each other. We're married, okay? And that happens in a whole lot of other ways as well. Um, and lastly, um, we are we a are guard against sin for each other. And very much ought to be. Having said all that, one of the reasons that marriage is sort of breaking apart is that we've lost this understanding of why we get married. Okay? Marriage is sort of like a, a con- really much more like a, consum- a consecrated by law sexual friendship. I put it that way. That's that's basically what marriage has become. Um, and that's not that's not what we hold at all. I hope that's become clear. Um, that being the case, uh, it's quite easy to see why people would say, "Well, you know." Uh, I'm not fulfilled anymore. <laughs> I'm not getting what I think I should get out of it, so we'll, we'll get divorced. Um, and of course, because, um, because we've lost the language of lifelong fidelity and exclusive fidelity, um, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm a dinosaur in that I'll stand before you and I'll tell you over and over again that marriage is lifelong. Um, it, is, it is not, um, the, the word that's used often is, it's indissoluble, right? When you have a real marriage, marriage is okay? Um What divorce essentially does, and I, I, make this, I make this rather strongly, listen, when you get married, uh, you, you combine your incomes, you combine your financial state, you, you combine your possessions, and it shows up on your taxes, okay? <laughs> and when, when you need to be relieved of those burdens, those financial burdens, and there are a lot of reasons why that happens, um, you go get a divorce, which is basically the way of the, the state saying, okay, you're no longer married. Um, operate your finances separately. I mean, file your taxes separately. Um, the church, actually, and I think this is really important, has no mechanism to recognize divorce. All the church can do is, is say this. Whether or not you can get married again, that's it. Okay? So I want to keep that very clear. I, don't, you know, I can't process a divorce for you. I can't do that. That's something the state does. All we can, all we can really adjudicate on is whether or not you can be married again. And I, I will say this. Um, uh, we have, at Christ Church, we have, a, we have a marriage customary. And the marriage customary basically states this. We do not officiate second marriages. Um, now, you might run off to Cancun and you might come back. We're going to talk about that, okay? <laughs> um, but I would far prefer it if if uh, if there was some sort of adjudication by the bishop, or if there was some sort of conversation about that. Uh, that's got to be done. There's a lot going on there, um, and it's never it's never simple, is it? It's never simple because here's one of the things that's going on today, and I, I, I we'll probably end here, and then we'll do anointing of the sick next week. Anointing of the sick next week. Um, part of the problem is that I would say for for a good number of people. They're, they're entering into marriage um, exactly as the prayer book says they ought not to do it. They're entering into it with zero sobriety. And they're entering into it unadvisedly. Okay. Um, you know, I have talked to so many couples lately who've been married and their whole family said this is a bad idea. But somehow they still picked up the pen to write the check for the flowers. Right? Right? Now, am I saying you should, you know, you should, you should just basically not, uh, not be a party to a marriage you don't agree with? Well, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, Some of you have got to figure out. But part of the problem is that um, a whole lot of people are getting married who shouldn't have, been, who shouldn't have ever gotten married in the first place. Um, and, and I would even go so far as to say they're unable to be married. Um, there are all kinds of things going on. I, I, I don't really want to recount them, but, um, but I, I will leave it at this. There are a whole lot of people who have gotten married who shouldn't have gotten married, um, and that's not to say they're not married. It's simply to say that there's a, there's a whole lot of disaster out there. Um, having said that, um, I will still maintain that as 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 Jesus does. Right? I mean, think about what's in Scripture. Um, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one rend asunder, which means tear apart not tear it apart um, he speaks harshly I mean uh, we, we take it as harsh but it's not um, you know the nature of what happens when you marry another what happens you commit adultery okay um, and and I would say that you know nine times out of ten today remarriage is that it's adultery and asking for an ecclesial stamp on it doesn't make it any difference um, now I know that's I know that's a rough deal, but um, and and of course in this diocese you can you can petition the bishop to be remarried, okay? And but I won't be the one processing it because I don't do it. Um, I've ha- I've actually served under bishops who do not allow remarriage in the church. Period. Period. And God bless them, right? Um, because that's an important witness. Um, now, is that to say that if you're, if you're married and you wind up getting divorced, you're doomed to a life of sadness and, and, and misery? Well, I hope you heard what I was saying today. Marriage is not essential to your happiness as a human being. Who's essential to your happiness and your, well, and your well-being? God alone. And if you think that marriage is going to help you be fulfilled as a human being, you are wrong. It'll often have the opposite effect. <laughs> In fact, it should in some ways <laughs> make you open to God's grace. <laughs> but see, there's, there's the point, right? Marriage doesn't exist for you and your happiness. Okay. Marriage, marriage is, uh, and this is where I want to end, marriage is, uh, is at the end of the day an evangelical union. Um, it exists to proclaim the gospel um, with our very bodies. Uh, one last thing. Um, I have often had the occasion to marry people who are in their 60s and 70s, um, who have found themselves widowed or whatever it is, and late in life they they meet somebody and they say, let's get married, you know? Life's too short to kick around and, and for me to do my own laundry and you to you know, have no one to cook for, let's get married. And, <laughs> and uh, there's a prayer in the prayer book that says something about, if it be your will, grant them the blessing of children. And one of these brides said, this is a little tough subject, but you know, I hope you know, Father, I, I can't have children. I was, I'm quite aware of that. Uh, she said, well, can we remove that prayer? I said, absolutely not. And she said, why? I said, because your marriage is to be fruitful, whether it's naturally or otherwise. Your marriage is to be a refuge for orphans. Your marriage is to be a refuge for those who have no home. Your marriage is to proclaim the gospel and to bear spiritual fruit. End of story. And I said, I'm gonna preach on that in the in the homily. And and I did. Okay. Um, because because and this is this is this should be the hope to, to couples who can't conceive children, right? It's a tough thing, it's a horrible thing. But it's to say your marriage is still to be fruitful. Um, God does not take that away from you simply because you can't uh, you can't biologically have children. Okay. So, and rant. Uh, we will talk next week about the anointing of the sick and as well. Uh, We're going to talk about the forgiveness of sins. Um, So that'll be next week. Thank you.